2019, so five years ago, I went on the Today Show in New York. And as I was stepping onto the stage, the producer whispered in my ear. She said, by the way, we don't say vagina on this show. And you know what's missing in this dialogue is the fact that uh, the piece that we've all missed is no one sat us down and told us this is the role of estrogen in your body and this is the role of progesterone. And because we've lacked that, our society has taken us down a rabbit hole that says, if it's broken, here's all the ways you can fix it, as opposed to here's how your body works. Welcome to Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie Podcast. My guest today is Shirley Weir. Although this podcast mainly features BIPOC folks, Black, Indigenous, people of colour, I wanted to invite Shirley here as she has done so much to educate the world about menopause. I met Shirley in 2017 when we were part of the forum, which helps women entrepreneurs connect and access the needed resources. We stayed in touch over the years and I have witnessed how Shirley is a fierce advocate for women's health. Shirley is the founder of Menopause Chicks. She launched Menopause Chicks 12 years ago onto the world stage to empower women to talk about menopause and perimenopause to navigate midlife health information and connect women's health professional. In this mini masterclass, we talk about hormones, the healthcare system, how it affects folks who identify as BIPOC, and what we can do to be more proactive about our journey. If you are like me and most of my friends or know anyone navigating menopause right now, I highly recommend joining Shirley's community. Links are in the show note. Good morning, Shirley. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm great. This is exciting. Please introduce yourself. What do you do? Who are you? Where you live? What, whatever seems important to you to share with the listeners. Absolutely. So my name is Shirley Weir. I'm the founder of menopausechicks.com. I will be 57 years old probably by the time you're listening to this podcast. And I started Menopause Chicks 12 years ago. I'm on a mission to ensure that everyone has access to hormone health education and information and that we feel confident to navigate perimenopause to menopause to postmenopause. That's wonderful. Uh, I'm interested to hear your journey to this. Sure. Why menopause chicks? And I wanted to you to come on because you've done so much good work in this community and educating folks about menopause. Share with us a bit about your journey to starting menopause chicks and maybe also what did you do before that? Yeah. So I'm at, I approach this question a few different ways. One is my own personal health journey. So as I mentioned, I'm turning 57. I grew up not wanting to talk about periods or bodily functions. This was not on my radar at all. And and then I got married. I had had two children. Around age 39, I was really stressed out, maxed. Didn't realize it at the time. To be it, it sounds a little weird in reflecting upon it, but I couldn't sleep. I had brain fog that was really debilitating and I was self-employed. I've always worked in marketing and communications. And so I was trying to run a business, run a house, two small children, and my aging mother had come to visit us and stayed because she wasn't well. And so she was here for six months showing signs of dementia. There was all of that, which probably sounds like a lot of people that you and I both know, right? Uh, we have a tendency to hold up a lot of plates. And I was maybe in denial a little bit that things were changing and that I wasn't prioritizing my health. 
And I wanted to blame something that was external. I was like, I'm going to go to my doctor. I'm going to get a grip on this. I don't have time for this nonsense. I wasn't really prepared at the time in my like late 30s, early 40s to hold up a mirror and say, is there anything that you could be doing, surely, in terms of taking care of yourself a little bit better? Do you know what I mean? I do. No, I am curious, though. I do want you to continue sharing, but I am curious. Did you even think menopause or that you were entering menopause? It was on my radar slightly because I have a sister who is 10 and a half years older than I am. And she reached menopause when she was 36. So her health journey has been very inspirational to the work that I do. But her health experience is completely different from mine. She had cancer as a child. And we believe that radiation, her radiation treatments actually destroyed a lot of her egg follicles. So she had difficulty conceiving, difficulty carrying a baby to full term. And she reached menopause at age 36, had to do a lot of the research herself. But I was only 26. I wasn't like remotely interested in what she was learning. Do you know what I mean? Because we push off learning about it till later date. So anyway, early 40s, mid 40s, as I was experiencing changes, I, I really became curious for two reasons. One, the science, the the learning about hormone health was interesting and fascinating to me. But the other big thing that probably the marketing brain allowed me to see was that this was a conversation that was not receiving equal airtime. It was an equity and an equality situation. And then when you go down that path, you realize how unbalanced women's health, you know, people with ovaries, people who are trying to prioritize their health in a healthcare system that can be quite dismissive and quite disappointing, quite lacking in the research even. And that is really a long way of saying I knew that something needed to be done. Now, initially, I was going to write a blog off of the end of my desk and call it my gift to the world. And I did that for about a week. And the response was so positive that I was like, "Uh oh, I like I think I might be changing careers here. And so I, I overlapped for a little bit until age 50. Just before my 50th birthday, I decided that this would be my full time vocation and it's full <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done and i'm not surprised that the you had such positive feedback from the blog because you and i have talked about this at that time especially there was not a lot of talk about it you know i don't know about your mom my mom never even talked about it yeah i don't blame our mothers at all because yeah. they didn't have the information or education. I don't know about your educational experience, but I will often refer to the fact that when I was in grade six or seven, we on one Tuesday, we learned how a baby was made. And the following Tuesday, we learned how not to make a baby. And that was the end of women's reproductive health education. Fast forward to my 30s, I had I even like I gave birth twice and I didn't even understand all of the things that were involved in that. And there's no shame attached to that whatsoever. It was just that happened to be my journey. And now I have the good fortune of understanding it a bit better and being able to transfer knowledge for people who might feel overwhelmed or confused by what they know or don't know. Yeah, I grew up in Singapore. Uh -huh. Yeah, our education was one day at, I think when I was 13 or 14, they separated the girls and the boys. And yeah. the girls went to one classroom, the boys went to one classroom, and they told the girls about period, and there was no sexual education, nothing. And my mom was a nurse. She was oh. a midwife. So my sister and I talk about this because we are like, you would think she'd have, she would have talked to me her daughters about this but i also get that 
other generation, they don't talk about these things. It's too personal. No, and you know what's missing in this dialogue is the fact that uh, the piece that we've all missed is no one sat us down and told us this is the role of estrogen in your body when it's produced in the first two weeks of your cycle. And this is the role of progesterone in your body for all parts of your body when it's produced in the second half of your cycle. And because we've lacked that, our society has taken us down a rabbit hole that says, if it's broken, here's all the ways you can fix it, as opposed to here's how your body works and here's how you can respect it if you want to stay around for another five decades. Definitely. And I love that you brought it up because yesterday I was on Instagram, which is my main social media thing. There was a a doctor who was talking about feminine hygiene products, pets. She said, let's stop calling it feminine hygiene. Yeah. Let's change the term because then there's almost that perception that it's not clean. Having a period isn't clean. I know. Language is really important. Words are so important. Yeah. And with your experience, your background, you've been doing this for 12 years. Yes. Do you think there's more balance or there's still a lot of work that needs to be done? I think that we are in a messy middle right now. And the reason that I say that is because when I started Menopause Chicks 12 years ago, I was very lonely. There were not any bloggers. There were no Instagram accounts. There's, there's no conversation, essentially. And fast forward to 2023, I'm very excited that there are more podcasts like this, that there are more channels. There's more dialogue. Just in 20, like 2019, so five years ago, I went on the Today Show in New York. And as I was stepping onto the stage, the producer whispered in my ear. She said, by the way, we don't say vagina on this show. And yeah, I know. Funny, right? And then five years later, we are now finding a way to talk, to use proper terms for body parts, to have open dialogue uh, like the one that you're referring to. But the reason I say we're in the messy middle is because when these conversations crack open, you get a lot of quality information from people who know what they're talking about. And it also sparks a lot of dialogue from for information that is not verified, that is not evidence-based. And that becomes very messy for consumers who are trying to make sense of what does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. I hope that looking forward for the next, hopefully it's not that long, but two, three, five years will create clarity because we deserve that. Yes. And it's so relevant. And I totally get what you're saying because in the therapy world, there's the talk about this now too, because there's so many online people who are talking about if you're depressed, try this. Right. If you're anxious, do this. But yeah, in the therapy world, they're like, okay, be really careful about what you're taking from these posts. Now, I get it that it's up to us as consumers to, to take what we need and stuff. And I'm glad that's for me anyways, as a therapist, that's, I'm glad there's more talk about mental health. Yeah. I'm glad that we're not hiding if we're having a sad day. Most of us are not. People are talking about it, but I'm also on the other hand going, no, no, don't just talk about depression like it's nothing. For example, you got to also give people the resources, give people the tools so you don't walk away as a consumer going, but I tried this that this person said online. It's not working. Can't make health decisions based on memes. Funny, not funny. 
It's funny, not funny. I know individuals who would spend more time creating a spreadsheet for what to order from Uber Eats and where the best value is than they will in terms of deciding what what health steps they should be making and who they should be trusting. Will we ever get out of that? I'm not sure. But I, I feel that the pendulum will swing towards quality health information. And if those people that are getting into the quote unquote menopause business right now for all the wrong reasons, they won't be around for long because we're smart. We're savvy. We can figure this out. I agree a hundred percent. I agree. Because as history has shown that if there's so much misinformation and stuff, people eventually figure it out. Also, community like yours, one person talk to the other person, talk to the other person. For example, I do this with my clients. I identify as women. And now a lot of them are going through menopause. And I send them to your site because I'm like, you need quality information. You go to menopause chase. And how I look at it is that let's start telling other women, maybe even men, oh, your wife is going through menopause? Send them to the site to get more information, quality information. So we're looking out for each other. So we're not suffering in silence. Right, for sure. Or just not suffering, period. Not suffering, yeah. I would love it if you would explain the terms a bit. Sure. Yeah. Perimenopause, postmenopause, maybe even estrogen, progesterone. What you think are important for us to maybe even grasp, have a basic grasp of it, because then the listeners can go, oh, I'm going to go look into this further. Okay. A a mini masterclass. Mini masterclass. So the very first thing that I want listeners to know is that you deserve to feel amazing. And the reason I begin with that is because the context of menopause has been misconstrued. It can often mean symptoms, suffering, negativity, met with an eye roll, lots of people have inherited generational myths that are attached to that word. We cannot change the word, but we can revisit what it means. So the definition of menopause is one day, and it is defined by the 12-month anniversary of your last period. There's no magic to that. It just happens to be that 12 months, generally speaking, will mean that your ovaries are no longer going to develop another egg follicle. It's the end of ovulation, reproduction, and menstruation. Leading up to menopause is a phase of life that's quite nuanced, and that is called perimenopause. Perimenopause as a term was only coined in 1996. That's pretty new in terms of research, understanding, and even knowing how to talk about perimenopause. But one of the best ways I've found to explain perimenopause is if you think about puberty or the day that a girl would get her first period, it doesn't just come out of thin air. There's months or years leading up to that day where her hormones have been fluctuating in preparation for her reproductive years. Same thing happens at menopause, except it's in reverse. There's a phase of years, probably five to seven years, where hormones might be fluctuating in preparation for the end of reproduction. Every day after menopause, I reached menopause when I was 49. The average age in North America is 51, I think. I don't know if anybody's done any research on that recently, but around 51. Every day after menopause is called postmenopause. And that is super important. We are in postmenopause for the rest of our lives. So I will never say going through menopause because it creates this notion that it ends and it's over and then things go back. I have individuals in my community who think, oh, things will just go back to normal. It's no, 
your ovaries no longer produce estrogen and progesterone for the rest of your life. And that impacts everything, your heart, your brain, your bones, and your genitourinary health. Estrogen and progesterone, the, the quick 411 on that is that estrogen is a very important hormone. It's a strong, feisty hormone. It has to be because it's developing an egg follicle. And so it arrives at the ovary. It's like our hormones are like a, a text message. They're like a messaging system. So the brain sends a message to the ovaries via estrogen and says, hey, can you develop that egg follicle and release it for me? So for two weeks at the beginning of our cycle, estrogen is produced by the ovaries. In the second half of our cycle, progesterone is produced. And progesterone is like the perfect dance partner for estrogen. It's very calming. It supports our mood and our sleep. And it regulates bleeding. It's responsible for the period or the release of the lining of the uterus. And it's also like these hormones have more than two or three roles and responsibilities. I'm just highlighting the main ones, but both are very supportive of our health. So estrogen protects our heart. Progesterone contributes to our brain health and our bone health. And I find that this is the conversation that's not always all that familiar. Our vaginas love estrogen. Estrogen is our juicy hormone. So it helps to keep our eyes moist and our mouth moist and our joints lubricated and our vulvas and vaginas happy. Really having an understanding of the roles and responsibilities of hormones when our cycles are regular helps us prepare or make a health plan for when they're not. That's amazing. I think you should go and teach anatomy. I've taken anatomy maybe five times throughout my life. And they don't teach the way that you do. They don't even, especially when it comes to female body. I remember one anatomy teacher, he's just, he was just like, and these are the female organs. And then he moved on. Mm. Probably gave it a third of the time that he would have spent on male organs. Yeah, so true. And like the first time we learn about something is the first time we learn about something. So I never try to talk about this with shame. It, my, I think about my own personal experience. Someone told me that we are born with all of the eggs. They didn't use egg follicles, but all of the eggs. And I was always like really curious. I'm like, where are all these eggs? Like, how do they all fit in an ovary that's this big? And then I, as you learn, you realize, oh, they're egg follicles. They need to be developed. That's the role of the hormones. If they're released and there's sperm there, that's where the health class started. They never talked about how they got there in the first place. Anyway. Oh, I'm curious. If you could, would you change the term menopause to something else? I considered it. I, I gave a lot of thought to what my movement was going to be called i had to choose i had to include the word menopause for search engine optimization not really what i wanted to call it i have done some previous work in my other like my former life with organizations who went through naming changes and i understand the financial and the the resources that are required to do that so i decided that we can change the meaning, mm -hmm. the definition, and the interpretation mm -hmm. far easier than we can change the name. Oh, for sure. And it's real, right? Because in society, that's what it's been known as. It, for you to come up with a different term, that would be a lot of investment. But the reason I ask is if you could do, if you had a choice, mm. what would be the perfect, like something that empowers this whole have yeah. you, has anything come to you? I do have a, I am known for this positive lens, like appreciative inquiry. And so that's why I always begin with, you deserve to feel amazing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I remember thinking about terms like lowercase letters on these words, but prime time. Like, I do feel that there's so much to celebrate about being in midlife. And for me, those things, and I hope that some of our listeners can grasp onto this as well, but I was 49 years old before I used the word beautiful to refer to myself. I was 49 years old before I laid in the bathtub, looked down at my body, and thanked it. So that's half my life. So I think that the word menopause is fine just as it is. We can redefine it, but we have to elevate the conversation around appreciating our wisdom and our confidence and our beauty, Mm -hmm. our sexuality. Like I could go on and on. Yeah. What do you wish? When I say practitioners, I'm including therapists, psychotherapists, doctors, the healthcare team that we would have, like acupuncturists, physiotherapists, if there were like maybe three to five things that you think you wish that they would do to help in this process, well, what would those things be? Education and prevention. To many of us in this society that we've all grown up in and work and live in, it always ends up coming back to, I have a solution to fix the problem. I have a solution to fix you. And I would love to see more of us, uh, more reminders to all of us that we're not necessarily broken but that we could benefit from conversation, education, and prevention strategies. And that is close to my heart because I I spent 14 years in Chinese medicine, right? And it's all about prevention. Yeah. And I can say for myself, some days was very frustrating because a lot of people don't understand that prevention is better than cure, than fixing it. And, but the thing is, the truth is, in the Western society, you look at the pharmaceutical industry, it's all about, oh, you have a headache, take a pill. Right. Whereas, yeah, what's causing the headache? Is it life? Is it stress? Is it your hormones? What would you tell the younger folks as prevention, as, as we get older, as we start to age? Prevention-wise, what do you think are like a few of the more important things for the younger folks to start doing now? First two things I would say is learn the roles and responsibilities of your hormones because that's just as important in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. It's not something you can press pause on until you're 50 or 60. The second thing I would say is if there is any way for you to access the information you need to connect the dots. And what I mean by the connecting the dots is my generation is facing the highest statistics for heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia, incontinence, reoccurring UTIs, and vaginal atrophy. And if we knew the root cause of all of those things and understood that, yes, it's multifactorial, I get it, right? There's genetics, there's lifestyle, there's stress management, but there is also a hormone health component. And when we are talking about, let's say, heart disease, for example, osteoporosis, one in three of my friends fall and break a bone due to osteoporosis. That's the statistic right now. If I can go out to my friend group and educate them on how they can prevent bone loss through nutrition, through strength building, and through investigating hormone therapy, that's one way to change those statistics. So to young people, I say, learn this now because First of all, I don't want to be a burden to my 20-something children. I don't want to fall and break a hip. 
So I'm investing in doing everything I can. There's no guarantee, but doing everything I can now so that I can enjoy my family uh, for the next four decades or five decades, uh, if I am so lucky. And in doing that, I hope to eradicate this. And I'm crossing my fingers right now. Mm -hmm. But we see this a lot, especially it comes up in the menopause chicks community quite often is that I'm crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. And I say, maybe we should uncross our fingers and do something that would contribute to like leverage the information, education and expertise that we can now so that we get the payoffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I would say even if one listener listening hmm. to this episode, go ahead and do that, then that makes me happy. Yeah. Because we just, we need one person at a time to, to be motivated to, to do the work. The one person like you to take, to, to go, Oh my God, I'm just, I'm going to do this because there's nothing out there. I'm going to leap. Be the lead and change. Be the leader. You know where yeah. that's um, like really, it, it just comes up so often and I want to change the statistics around it. It's with vaginal health. There are many individuals who think, oh, I'll just, I really hope that I don't experience vaginal atrophy. And I'm like, hope is not a health strategy. If you know that your vagina is going to miss estrogen, then you might want to investigate how to prevent that. I don't know why. Maybe you have the magical answer, but but what of human trait is never going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, that's a survival. Yeah. A survival. And how do we encourage people to go Okay, no, don't just hope that your vagina is not going to atrophy. Do something now. And okay, I get it. So there's we, some, a lot of us are stressed. A lot of us are at capacity. There's the financial thing too. Some people are, they are taking care of their elderly parents and things like that. I know there's that. So the system also needs to be fixed. But yeah, it's, yeah. Except can... that, Patricia, if, and I know this is not a fair, comparison it is absolutely inequitable if a penis owner goes to their doctor and says i'm experiencing erectile dysfunction the first thing they receive is treatment if a vagina owner goes to the doctor to talk about vaginal health there's a high likelihood of dismissal, disappointment, and even extreme bizarre conversations such as just have another glass of wine, just get through it. It happens to everyone. You're just getting to that age. It, it's That's not right. No, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating, which leads to what I want to talk to you about next is the dismissal. Yeah. Let's just talk about in general before we, we talk about what you know about the bipolars. Sure. But the dismissal that they get when they go to the doctor. Yeah. What advice do you have for them to get the care? I know one of the advice I heard recently was bring a friend. You always bring a friend now. Yeah. I'm taking a deep breath on this one. When we navigate other parts of our lives, I have the utmost confidence that we know how to do that. When I take my car into the mechanic, I am capable of having a conversation about what my budget is, what my time frame is, because I need that vehicle to navigate my life. Mm-hmm. When I go to the hairstylist and I sit in the chair, I am capable of saying, I like this. I don't like this. 
This aligns with my vision for how I want to walk out of here. All of those things. But we have a gap when it comes to healthcare. It's probably a power inequity in many ways. And by the way, I am saying this as a white privileged woman who has access out the yin yang. I know that. And not everyone has that same access. But at the same time, my mother would say this, we all have a tongue in our mouth and it's up to us how we use it and speak up. So if you can dig deep and conjure that confidence and that ability to speak for yourself, great. Now, we also have a very large portion of our population who cannot do that for a variety of systemic reasons. And that's heartbreaking. And I do, there's absolutely no way I can promise you a solution to that other than more awareness, more conversations like this through more podcasts, more one on one dialogue, more mass media, whatever we can do. There was a study a handful of years ago here in British Columbia, where we both live. And it clearly brought attention. It's called inherwords.ca. Clearly brought attention to the fact that women, and it was a, a, a study for the BC Women's Health Foundation, aged 51 and up are more likely to leave their health appointments feeling dismissed or disappointed And the top two reasons for their health appointment in the first place was either menstruation or menopause. The statistic, I believe, for the reported dismissal was 54%. The number was significantly higher for Indigenous women and for women of color. That's not just a conversation for women to to be having. That's a conversation for healthcare professionals. Where is that agenda item on the learning for on our healthcare system and model? I'm not sure. That's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And I fear, because I'm a menopause advocate, I fear that Indigenous and women of color, if they've had a poor experience when they had a period, when they were pregnant, when they were labor and delivery, they are not going to be able to dig deep for that confidence and for those advocacy tools when they reach menopause. History would just tell us that's going to become increasingly difficult for them. And then what happens is the the statistics I was referring to earlier become more prevalent, more heart disease, more osteoporosis, more vaginal atrophy, more UTIs. I'd I'd love to ask, I'd love to turn this around and ask you the question, how do we put a stop? How can we be more preventative? Oh, there's so much to it. You get it. There's the systemic racism, right? For folks who are bipolar, that's one. And then the dismissal. This is one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is because we need community. We need people to we need to look out for each other. Yes. Where and one of the episodes that's coming out is I was talking to one of my friends who's also Asian, Chinese, and we were talking about community and the thing is how we understand community as People of color, especially those of us who grew up in a collectivist culture, is very different than how a Western mm. person, those who grew up in an individualistic culture, thinks about community. And what you're talking about here in the question you asked is that we need to be there for one another. And also we need an open conversation. Let's say you and I live in the same neighborhood, but if I see you at a small kid and I go, Oh my God, the heart flashes. And let that be a normal thing and not something that we hide behind. Even mental health, right? 
It's because then if I had come to you and I said, oh, God, the sleep is horrible, the hot flashes is horrible, then because you have the knowledge and you're looking out for your community, you will go, oh, okay, try this or go see this. Go see the pelvic floor physio. Go yeah. see the natural path doctor. And I think we need to do that so we can change how we approach this and how, because then as a person of color, as a woman of color, I know that, oh, everyone is talking about it. When I go to the doctor, I, it will give me more confidence to bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things, Patricia. Like, you can have confidence and, the, and I can equip everyone with the tools that they need to go have that conversation. There's still no guarantee that the physician has the education or the expertise to, to support you. I just did a quick look, though, because I did want to mention that I know from some of the work that I've done in the U.S., that there are some groups specifically addressing menopause for people who are Black. Mm. So menopause, well, Black women and menopause, Black menopause and beyond. And the reason that I um, wanted to bring that up in particular is that, A, there's too few, like too few, right? But also because of physiological differences, which I'm not an expert in, but there is research that shows that Black women experience vasomotor symptoms differently than other colors or other cultures. And then, you know, here in Canada, if we would look, look at our Indigenous community, we already know that there's a higher rate of diabetes, more susceptible. Like, how is that in being handled in the context of hormone changes? Yeah, anyway. No, thank, oh, thanks for sharing that. I'm going to link those in the yeah. show notes because also, is like you, you're right. There's so much, and the system has to change. The education has to change. And speaking as a person of color, is that if you identify as a, a, a BIPOC, like indigenous person of color, then the trend that I've seen in the last, say, five years, maybe even more, is that. I'm now going to be correct and I'm going to find a practitioner that is a person of color. Like it. And hopefully, so like my own medical doctor is a woman of color. And by doing that, the hope is that they will see us better. Like my own therapist, after many years of my therapist being white women, and they were all great. Don't get me wrong. My therapist is a woman of color. And the reason I switched to her was because the anti-Asian racism was happening in 2020. And my therapist at that time was a white woman, amazing woman, but she didn't grasp what racism meant. Right. And my husband is white. He's great. And he said to me, we can understand, we can sympathize, but we would never understand. Yes, right there in your heart, in your body. And I say this to clients too, or people of color when they come and see me, I say the thing is, it makes such a big difference when you bring it up. Say we're talking about racism in this matter is that you don't have to explain. You don't have to explain yourself about why racism is so hard. So as a person of color, if I find a practitioner, say even my medical doctor, she's a woman of color, by going to her and saying that, oh yeah, gestational diabetes, for example, because it's more common in Asian women, she gets it and you don't fear that she's going to judge you for doing right. something wrong, that your diet isn't great, that's why you get that gestational diabetes. But she understands because a lot of Asian when they are pregnant, they get gestational diabetes because of the genetics. So this is my long way of saying that in the last five years, I've seen a lot of trends that a lot of people of color are now seeking help, practitioners, therapists, Andy, who are people of color because they feel safer. So I think that helps. And I also think then the system has to change because then we have to give more 
resources to folks who are BIPOC, scholarships even less, train them yeah. to be doctors, all yeah. those things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And as you're saying that, I am reminded of how many times I hear members of my community say, I'm disappointed with my healthcare experience. The practitioner was a woman. And so then I'm like, oh, you've just assumed that a female practitioner studied menopause and postmenopause at medical school. And so the one of the ways that I close that gap is I try to give every member a permission slip that says it is okay to ask your doctor. Tell me about your patient panel. Do you have a lot of women at the same age and stage as me? Because if they're doing labor and delivery, their patient panel is probably 20 or 30 years younger. And it is absolutely okay to say, is this something that you practice every day on a regular basis? Been to any continuing education classes on this? Because I am starting my journey and I am here. I want you to be on my team. I want you to work with me on this. And so I just have a couple of questions for you. Yes. I love that you brought this up because we don't think about asking that. Oh, I know. We assume. We assume and we think, oh, you're a doctor. You must know. And if you're a female doctor, you must understand my body. And if you're a female doctor, you must have sympathy for what I'm going through. Maybe. They might have sympathy. They might might have experienced having a period, but they might not have experienced anything else that you might be going through. Yes. And... uh, and yeah, I love that you're encouraging people to ask because now that I'm a therapist counselor is that I do a 15 minutes consultation. I encourage them to ask the questions and what you've brought up, a lot of them will say, have you worked with Asian mm-hmm. folks? Have you worked with grief? Have you worked with trauma? And to take that to your medical practitioner, like what you just said, that's huge. We don't think about it. We don't think about it. We never sit down in our dentist chair and say, tell me, have you ever done a filling before? What if it's their first root canal and you're it? I love my dentist. And actually on her Facebook page, she will share that, oh, I'm going to this conference to learn about X, Y, Z. And for me, it's okay. This is good for me to know that you are doing continuing education. And she also teaches at the university. So I know she has the skills. Oh, I love that you brought it up because a lot of us were brought up to respect our doctors. Mm -hmm. Don't ask questions. No. Right? That's why there's so much activity in the menopause chicks community is they go, members will go to their health appointment, then they'll come back and they're looking for interpretation or they're looking for validation or they're looking for more information. I don't know how much time we have today, but there's... And a societal assumption that your doctor will educate you. And I have to say, no, actually, your doctor works within a health model that rewards them for 10-minute appointments. Their job is not to educate you. Their job is to diagnose and treat. And they try to do that in under 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. This was maybe 20 years ago. I went to my doctor at that time. There was actually a note on the wall in the waiting room. You're only allowed to discuss one issue to them. It's still there, I promise you. Oh, but how can you? But if you have a headache and you have menstrual cramps, those are connected. How can you just say that I'm only allowed to bring one thing up? I know. But I just, I be. Yeah. But just like. There's a shift happening in that area though. And I think it does. I think it's rooted in the mental health movement. And that is that doctors can, in British Columbia can now opt for 30-minute appointments. So they can be compensated for 30, which I think is a step in the right direction. Are there any books you would recommend that we should read? Can I yes. This your book. Feel come, to, come to Menopause Chicks and you can have it for free online. Oh, I have many favorite books. I follow the work of Dr. Jerry Lynn Pryor, who is a guru at the University of British Columbia. I follow the work of Dr. Lori Brado, who does a lot of research in sexual desire, which is a topic that comes up a lot. 
Estrogen Matters is a book that I refer a lot of women to. It specifically helps us unpack a big question, which is the relationship between hormone therapy and breast cancer. And yeah, and I'm writing another one for this year. It's called Menopause. It's different now. Oh, let's get you on before. When when is it coming out? Uh, Probably in the fall, early fall. Oh, please come back. Let's talk about that before the book comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you want us to know? I'm just really grateful that you have this platform and that you are not only cracking open the conversation, but helping to change it because really that will signify at the end of the day that we've done good work here. We are all worthy of this information and education. And for those of you listening, it's really important. Your time and your investment in your health has will pay dividends. My hope is that seeing the work that you do there will be a few more people who are committed to putting out quality information like you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This week's advice from me, Ee, your Chinese auntie, is to be proactive about your mental and physical health. Talk to your friends about what is going on. Now that I am in perimenopause, my body and sleep are changing. Luckily, I have a few friends I can talk to about this. Also, please be aware of the information you gather on social media. Research before you follow any advice and always listen to your body. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Also, remember to sign up for our newsletter to receive free materials and updates. Links in the website, patriciapeterson.ca. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N.ca. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you in the next episode.